Welcome to the Azure Podcast, a weekly podcast to keep you up to date on what's new on our cloud platform, Microsoft Azure. Your hosts, Cynthia Crane, Evan Basilic, Suji DeMello, Kendall Roden, Kel Teeter, and Russell Young discuss a different service or solution on each show with subject matter experts to explain how to get started, how different services work, and how to make decisions in tricky scenarios. You can find out more about our podcast at azpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Welcome back to the Azure Podcast. This is episode number 418 being recorded on the 30th of March, 2022 with special guest, David Starr. I'm Sujit and on teams with me, we have Cynthia, Kale, and of course our special guest, David, who we're gonna to get to in just a minute. Uh, but before that, let's get caught up with all of the news. And I believe uh, Cynthia and Kale have some updates for us. Go ahead. Okay, you wanna go first? Sure. Kale go always first. goes first. I'll go first, yeah, that's fine. I got three things. Uh, as usual, I usually have three or four, but uh, today, uh, this one kind of struck out to me, uh, just stuck out to me was um, this open RAN which uh, we had LANs and we had WANs. Now we have RANs, um, which are radio access networks. Uh, and this is kind of extending upon some of the the uh, Azure for Operators type model that we had. This was announced at, and showcased at the uh, Mobile World Congress uh, that just happened recently. And it's you know obviously around things like the 5G uh, diversification strategies, uh, different radio wave, different radio uh, operators who are in this space. There's a uh, challenge that was there, a future radio access network challenge, Frank, um, that's you know proposed there as part of this open RAN initiative. Um, so it's great, great stuff on there. We should probably uh, dive into that sometime. We did have some people talking about the Azure for Operators uh, in one of our past podcasts, but uh, might be good to dig into some of this because I'm not super familiar with with the radio access network. Um, second thing was uh, around the Synops Cloud, and basically uh, this is a uh, partner and basically talking about the semiconductor industry and how they're leveraging Azure to influence and help with silicone design. Uh, so the process of actually creating uh, chips, uh, obviously things like the global chip shortage and things that we've experienced here in, in recent times, uh, things like this help, right? Because if we can accelerate uh, the design process of, of creating chips, uh, we could probably you know, get more out there uh, to supply the uh, demand that we have there. So there's a nice article written up here about the uh, what they call EDA, the electronic design automation uh, that's used uh, with this Synopse Cloud and basically talking about the pay-as-you-go model with the virtual machines and the different resources in Azure that have uh, helped them uh, you know, make this possible. And then the last one's a little more uh, focused on product side, which is the uh, Azure Front Door. Uh, so there's some new features uh, to the Azure Front Door uh, for specifically targeting mo- modern apps and, and content um, CDNs and those like. Um, there's a nice blog article written up here. I won't go into the big details. Again, we should probably uh, have this in a future podcast because it's growing quite rapidly with a bunch of new features. But just to hit on a few of them, uh, there's some new automation and provisioning um, features that are in there. There's also some things around custom domain validation, some different analytic solutions, uh, along with the CDN stuff. There's uh, you know some new edge locations. I think there's hundreds uh, they mentioned here uh, that are now available inside of there. So to supply the content to different regions in the world. 
And then there's the intelligence security side with the private link support, WAF, and, and some of the other features around that. So um, pretty cool stuff that's happening with uh, Azure Front Door as it continues to grow. So that's it. Thanks for going first, Kale. And I have two updates to share. First one is the news around retirement. So App Service Environment, or what we call ACE, ACE V1 and ACE V2 will be retiring on the 31st of August, 2024. It does feel like a ways out, but we do want you to start proactively taking some of the migration steps. We'll include a link in the show notes on what are some of your options. It also goes into a comparison of some of the feature parities. And one of the big reason is that Azure Cloud Services, where ASV1 and ASV2 is built on, is retiring on August 31st, 2024 as well. So these services that were built on top of that are retiring around the same date. And then the other one is a public preview announcement for um, Azure Dedicated Host support in AKS. So what Azure Dedicated Hosts are is that it provides you physical servers that you're able to host virtual machines that's dedicated to a specific Azure subscription. These are the same servers that we use in our data server data centers, but the benefit of using these dedicated hosts for your nodes with your AKS cluster is that you're able to achieve hardware isolation as well as you're able to control over the maintenance events. You're able to actually opt into different uh, maintenance windows depending on how you want to operate your clusters. Great, Cindy. And I just had a few couple more on the AKS bandwagon. Uh, there was a big week for AKS. Uh, they've added support for Calico network policies. This is the network policy that allow which uh, namespaces can talk to each other, etc. Uh, they've extended that to Windows, uh, not pools now, which is new. They've also added capacity reservation support in AKS. So you know how you could uh, always have VMs with, uh, uh, with capacity reservation. You could now do that in AKS uh, nodes as well. And uh, the last one is the node auto drain for AKS. So when AKS does schedule events, like Cynthia was just saying, like, you know, rebooting a server to install a patch, in the past, it might have been a slight blip in your applications. Now they have the auto drain feature where it will make sure that all of the nodes, all of the pods are gracefully shut down in the node before they get repatched and rebooted. So uh, minimize the impact there. So that's all automatic. We don't do anything for that. Well. I think that's uh, all the update for this week. So let's get to our special guest, uh, David. Uh, David, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, please uh, introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell us what you do at Microsoft and what your passion is around Azure. Oh, thanks so much. It's uh, really cool to be here because, as I was mentioning before we started recording, you guys are in my head all the time. Every time I go for a walk, you know, it's pretty cool to to be here in person. So that's neat. I. Uh, I'm a principal software engineer working in the commercial marketplace services team, and we spend our time helping organizations sell their software in the Azure and in the Azure commercial marketplace and in AppSource, which is another storefront that I work on. And uh, I, I know your guests always give a little bit of history, so so I'll do that too. I spent six years before coming to Microsoft, and when my first stint at Microsoft was working on Visual Studio, which was uh, pretty cool. And being able to deliver software to all those developers out there was really a fun thing. Spent several years working for Scrum.org after that. 
teaching and building curriculum and, and such like that. And after that, I was director of technical learning at GoDaddy, and I'm a Pluralsight author. I've got a lot of courses out there, so everybody should head out there and listen to them and watch them because then I get royalty, and that's a great thing. And <laughs> finally, I'll, I'll mention that I'm the co-host uh, with my general manager, Paul Marr, of an of a podcast of our own called Azure for Executives. And so I know everybody listening is a podcast fan, so find us out there on all your favorite uh, distribution channels. That's great, David. Uh, thank you for sharing that and interesting to know about your podcast as well. Uh, it's nice to meet a fellow hoster, as we call ourselves these days. Um, so I uh, wanted to start by asking, you know, so when it comes to, you know, making uh, for partners to make money uh, by putting apps on Azure or monetizing apps, you mentioned that there, you mentioned a few names uh, like uh, AppSource, and uh, you know, there's traditionally been uh, various ways of uh, allowing uh, customers or partners to put their apps on Azure. Can you just give us a little bit of history around you know, what has been supported and where we're going? Then maybe we can talk about where we're going in this space. Sure. Well, where we've been for quite a while is we've been in two uh, different marketplaces, if you will. We've had uh, these two different storefronts, as we talk about them, one being Azure Marketplace, which is primarily business-to-business -business transactions. So these are companies that have built software solutions that target other organizations that might want to purchase them. And then we have AppSource, which is more of a B2C uh, transactable marketplace in which people build things like additions to Microsoft Teams and to uh, Microsoft 365 products, and they distribute through AppSource. Also, Dynamics 365 extensions come through AppSource. And so there are two different storefronts out there today, and we're working really hard to unify those two things into a single story that we can talk about as our commercial marketplace here at Microsoft and have one place to go for all of your solutions where you buy software from partners. Does that, does that help? David, does, I'm, yes. I'm curious, given the amount of offerings that's available, what is a good way to decide if I have a certain idea in mind, if I should build it myself on Azure, or if I should look for something that exists on the marketplace. So I would, you know, it's a build versus buy decision, just like you find in any sort of organization that is looking at bringing new software into, into their uh, org, right? And that's a pretty classic problem and dilemma that we have at the executive level is, am I gonna build or buy? A given solution. The real beauty of buying today is that we can do so on subscription bases, right? And that you don't have to manage things nearly as closely as you did before, even when you did a buy, right? Because these things are hosted in the cloud. They're managed by the vendors, uh, by the solution providers. And all you have to do is go out there and make that purchase. You run it until you determine that you no longer need it and you turn it off if that is a decision that you make down the line. So, uh, you know, you're not you're not sinking those costs into things that are going to go away, but you still have to pay the ongoing licensing fees, that, that sort of thing. So um, the question being, 
uh, a build versus buy one here, but how do I decide to bring my stuff to the marketplace? I think is another interesting thing we could touch on here. And that is if I have an existing solution that runs at at least 50% on Azure, that's a requirement that we have, 50% of your solution runs on Azure or more, hopefully all of it does, we love to see that, um, then you are absolutely welcome and encouraged to sell your solution through the marketplace. You get a lot of benefits from doing that to include things like Microsoft helping you sell your solution, right? And so you open your market up tremendously by putting your solution on the marketplace. It changes your business model. And, you know, from a technologist standpoint, this is kind of fun to say, not totally true, but do you really need salespeople anymore? You know, that's that's something that we could uh, debate. But the sales channels become very different when you have a solution in the marketplace. It sort of self-advertises and Microsoft helps you sell it and all that good stuff. And instead of fulfilling by sending out or by having people download your software and install it, uh, they purchase it right there on the marketplace. You host it within Azure and things just work. Awesome. And another question I had was like maybe for our listeners, like, um, yeah, there's a bunch of different ways when you're using cloud uh, to kind of deploy your application like PaaS and SaaS and all kinds of different ways. When I'm using things from the marketplace or even if I'm publishing them, do I have those options? Like, is all that on the table? I'm allowed to be like a SaaS provider up there, but also I could do something where the customer owns everything. What's the model there like? Cool. There are a couple of good questions in that. Uh, First thing I'll mention is that, you know, I don't see SaaS as a IaaS play. Uh, we can certainly have a SaaS solution that is made up of Azure services, and we love to see that, too. We help people bring those types of solutions to Azure. So that's one thing. And then the other thing I'll mention, and I'm going to stick kind of to the Azure marketplace side of things for our conversation today. As we mentioned, that's the business to business sales. And there we have three offer types that you can take advantage of, one being virtual machines. That's the lion's share of our business, far and away. Uh, secondly, we have SaaS as an offer type in the marketplace. And there, you know, the, the perfect story is if you have a multi-tenant application where you can just auto-provision your customers at purchase time. That's a really cool story to be able to give to your customers. And, and then thirdly, we have the Azure Managed Application. So uh, I mentioned virtual machines and uh, Azure Managed Applications. Together are types of offers that live in the customer's tenant and in their, in their subscription. So if I were to purchase a virtual machine, for example, as a customer, I would apply my own policy to that virtual machine. I'd be responsible for patching it in an ongoing way. Things like that. If I purchase an Azure managed application, that's kind of a weird, uh, that's kind of a weird deployment model for for some folks to get their head around. What happens when I purchase an Azure managed app is I get an installation of two resource groups into the client subscription. So what that means is that they're going to pay for all the infrastructure costs, right? Of everything that's running inside those two resources group resource groups but one of them is very special and that is what we call the managed resource group that's where we deploy our solution and 
Oddly enough, even though it's running on the customer's subscription antenna, they can't manage it. They can't touch it. They can see the things that are in there, but they have read-only access by default. And there's another resource group that holds something we call a managed application, which you could think of as a gateway for publishers to be able to come in and manage the resources within that managed resource group. So even though the customers can only read it, the publishers have right access and you know full control, uh, typically contributor role, over everything that's in that managed resource group. So it's up to the publisher in this case to manage all of those resources in an ongoing way. So if you happen to spin up a VM, as an example, within that managed resource group, you're responsible for patching that VM, right? And then we talked about SaaS. I'll, I'll touch on that just briefly. As far as the deployment model, it's going to run in your own uh, tenant, in your own subscription. So you pay the infrastructure costs as a publisher and People sign up for your service and you serve that back out to them uh, from your own from your own resources, right? But just to follow up on that, on that managed app side you were talking about, so from a partner perspective, like I want to publish my solution up there. If I have the sophistication to run a SaaS, a multi-tenant SaaS solution, and I know how to scale that and all the things that come around that to like manage that and do it, that's one model. But this other one sounds like an interesting model too, because I don't have to do that, right? I can just let it, the customer subscription be the scale unit, right? And so now they're they're kind of doing it, and I'm just there making sure it's healthy. Is that is that how I should think about that as a partner? That's reasonable, although with a SaaS offer, particularly a multi-tenant solution, you have a single point of management, which is very nice, right? I have to manage my solution. I can patch it uh, and upgrade it very simply for all of my customers at once. As a managed application, think of each instance as something that I have to manage individually. And we've got some publishers that I've worked with in the past that do interesting things like they have a CI/CD pipeline into which when they uh, when when they update their main deployment branch it'll actually deploy to all of their managed application customers right that sort of thing uh, but that's that's actually a rare case and in most cases there's a, a manual management uh, model that is at play there. So your your costs, even though you're in, incurring the infrastructure costs on your SaaS application, cost of maintenance can be much much lower. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that uh you know uh, Kale on that question I've seen is customers typically are worried about where their data and where their apps reside, right? And so in a SaaS world, it's kind of out of their hands. They know it's in there along with potentially other customers' uh, data, right, in the in the, in the the provider's SaaS offering. Whereas over here, when it's running in their tenant, they kind of, it's all running within their subscription, within their policies, and they have more control over that. Is that another way to think about it, David? It is. And we run into that situation all the time where customers have data that they don't want to be accessible by the publisher. And that happens even in managed applications where I mentioned that the publisher has full control over everything. So what do we do in a situation like that? Uh, there are two things. One is that you can build what we talk about as a hybrid solution. And we don't recommend this, <laughs> frankly, but uh, we've, we help partners do this all the time. And that is that they will deploy a database 
typically into the customer tenant directly. And they might hand them an ARM script. They might hand them uh, some sort of deployment script that runs in their own tenant. And the customer does that. And then they deploy maybe that managed application. Or maybe even uh, they've deployed some some services into the customer tenant and their SaaS application is going to be talking to those services. However it works. Uh, but this hybrid model has some resources on the customer tenant where the publisher can't see them and integrates with the solution that the publisher provides. So that's that's one way we talk about that as hybrid. Uh, secondly, I don't know when this show is going to drop, but I'll but <laughs> let's just say uh, pay attention to this space. We have something coming up to help with this hybrid situation. And, and just kind of a little bit of a follow up on that, David, you mentioned earlier that the requirement was 50 percent of the solution should be hosted on Azure. I'm curious, what are those? Uh, what give me a, a kind of sample of what a solution might look like where you know, maybe half of it is on Azure and half of it is somewhere else. Uh, what's the typical situation that happens? Oftentimes we see people converting from one cloud to another or or having a hybrid solution in an ongoing way, meaning uh, cross-cloud, right, multi-cloud. And what we'll have there in many cases is data sitting in another cloud instance. And this could even be on-prem. It could be another cloud provider, but it could be on-prem. And then most of the compute will live on Azure. That's a very common scenario. Also, there may be the entire background or business logic of an application lives behind some services. And maybe those services are hosted up from another cloud, right? And the front end, to whatever that solution is, is is living and running on Azure. That's a very common scenario as well. So cross-cloud is is something we see uh, quite a bit. Now, I will say 50% of your solution on Azure is a bit hard to quantify sometimes, right? But uh, nevertheless, that that's what we look for in a solution that we can support on the marketplace. If you're paying 50% of your bill to Microsoft, 50% to somebody else, is that how it is? <laughs> uh, could be, but we're not going to be able to look at your bill, right? <laughs> David, can you walk us through what support experience customers should be expecting when they deploy a solution from the marketplace? Is it support coming from Azure or would it be support coming from the publisher? Or well, a combination of both. Yeah, it's it's interesting. If you are running into issues with your solution running on Azure, you've got typical Azure support that you go through to ensure that you get your solution up and running, right? However, when it comes to integrating with the marketplace, there is a portal that our partners use to set up their offers that then deploy into the marketplace. It's called Partner Center. And within Partner Center, you have the ability to raise tickets to what we call our marketplace frontline support team. We've got over 100 agents sitting there waiting to take your call to help you uh, get your solution working within the marketplace. Now, beyond that, if you happen to be a customer um, that, how should I put this? Uh, a customer with an interesting problem. <laughs> if if you are, a, I should say, partner with an interesting problem, something maybe we've not seen before. Uh, odds are you have what we call a PDM at Microsoft, a 
partner development manager, someone you work with uh, to work with Microsoft and be your inroad into the company. That person can nominate you to our team to work with our team to help you bring your very interesting solution into the marketplace. So those are the types of partners that we tend to work with on our team, although uh, we do service some of our bigger partners. If you think about, for example, VMware, Red Hat, these are just partners like you can be on the marketplace. They just happen to be very big ones. So when you go out there and you spool up a Red Hat machine as a base image on uh, Azure, you're talking to one of our partners, Red Hat. Maybe, and, maybe uh, David, oh, oh, sorry, go ahead, Sidi. No, I just wanted to clarify uh, what Cynthia had asked. I think the, what she was asking, David, is that, you know, as a customer, as a consumer who bought that application, right, and I deployed it and running it, and that something goes wrong with that deployed application, uh, what might be the support experience from that? Because now it's kind of ambiguous, right? Like you own part of it, the customer, the partner owns the other part. Oh, sorry if I got that wrong, Cynthia. My apologies. Uh, okay, so from that standpoint, there's no ambiguity at all. It's on them. <laughs> so, <laughs> not not quite, right? But there are terms and conditions that go along with uh, a sale that publishers are able to amend in, in any way, right? They can set out their support agreements uh, to their customers. The customers get a chance to review those before they're making a purchase. And there should be a support relationship between the publisher and the customer. And in fact, when you go to that portal partner center and you're setting up your offer, we require you to provide a support URL that resolves to your company's domain. Yeah, David, maybe you could talk a little bit. You mentioned that uh, when partners come to this, they can sell their products. Obviously, that's kind of the the business here, right? They actually want to make money. From a billing perspective, what options do I have there? Is it just like flat fees? I have this VM image up here, and I just charge you fifty bucks a month to use it. Or is it something? Is there other options there for like granularity of how I bill, like on a per call basis or something like that? You know, it, it's funny. I just was in a conversation about this this morning. So it turns out there are different billing models per offer type. And uh, that was the conversation is, can we fix that, please? So <laughs> the uh, billing models are very, very flexible, actually. They all support a month-to-month -month, uh, sort of billing model where your customers are going to pay on that frequency. And uh, some of our offer types also support a annual billing model. We've rolled out a multi-year billing uh, capability that gives them the ability to charge once a year, even at um, different rates. So um, that's that's nice. So annual and monthly are sort of out of the box, depending on the offer type. But then we have something called metered billing. And you may be familiar with this uh, through other products. It's the idea that I'm going to pay for usage. So paying for usage, I like to think about it this way. If, I've got, if I'm an optical character recognition company and my job is to bring in scans of doctors' handwritten notes, turn them into readable text, and then push them back into an electronic medical record. Well, maybe I'm going to build a plan that has a flat rate of uh, let's let's say a thousand dollars a month, and 
you know, I'm making that number up, but a thousand dollars a month. And then on the, uh, and, and we included with that is 1 million scans, right? On the 1 million and first scan, you can hit back to our billing API and say, Hey, we just scanned one extra, uh, page. And so we're going to increment the bill by 0.001 cent. And this is how our billing APIs work. And the little known, of course, now it won't be little known secret that we <laughs> that we have is that I could build a meter that cost $1 and then I could increment it 25,000 times. And that's my annual fee <laughs> if I don't happen to have a annual fee supported in the base uh, cost structure for that offer type. David, can you also talk about the configurability of these Azure Marketplace offerings? Are they just kind of out of the box or are there things that you can do to kind of adjust to the environment or the requirements you have? So if I'm hearing you uh, properly, it's what can I as a customer do to configure the solution during deployment or something like that? Is that what you're thinking? Yes, like what are some... Are there flexibility in terms of these Azure Marketplace offerings or are they just kind of as is? Okay, so as a publisher, I can definitely do something like parameterize my solution, if you will. And in the case of Azure Managed Applications that we talked about, those ones that run in a customer tenant but managed by the partner, I as a partner, when I'm building my solution, I create this little JSON file that defines the install experience. And I collect variables during that in install experience or collect values rather. And I pass those as parameters into an ARM template that does the deployment. So I get a custom deployment experience in that regard with, with uh, the Azure Managed Apps. SaaS is even more flexible because what happens there is I make a purchase of a SaaS solution or I'm subscribed to it. And when I am done with the provisioning of that SaaS application, once it deploys, I should say, I get a button that says configure my subscription. I click that and it takes me to what we call a landing page. This is a page on the partner's website in which uh, they are able to collect more information from you. And it could be anything. It could be anything they need to provision your account. So I, as a customer, might do something like upload my logo, right? I might even put in a software key that I've uh, got for the product that I'm that I'm purchasing. Maybe a discount code. Who knows? And I place all that information into that landing page. As soon as I submit that that now goes to the publisher to be used in the provisioning process. So I don't know if that's the flexibility you're talking about, but those are the sorts of customizations that partners are able to bring to their customers. Yeah, I can tell you that from our foray uh, into AMA, uh, it's somewhat flexible on the ARM template deployment side, but once the deployment is complete, this is kind of limited things you can actually do in the deployed application as far as the customer. There's a few things you could do if you write custom resource providers and whatnot, but it's it's not like you can, you know, you can't like re-mimic a Azure portal experience on that side. It's not not that flexible. But there's it's it's good enough, I think. It definitely is good enough. Uh David, I had just a couple of quick questions for you. Uh, uh, I know we're running out of time here. So the first one is um if uh 
if the customer has a certain policy, enterprise policy that they apply to their uh, subscription, their tenant, and uh, they install this application, will the which will the customer's policy get applied to that, or will the uh, publisher's policy get applied to the published application? The publisher's policy definitely gets applied to the resources deployed within their own tenant and subscription. And in fact, uh, I ran into a situation recently with a partner and we were watching his deployment fail time and again, and we couldn't figure out why the deployment was failing. Turned out they had policy that prohibited folks from installing new virtual machines in their tenant and, you know, of a certain permission level. So while I had permissions to go buy a solution from a partner, a publisher of Microsoft's, when that thing would deploy, it just blew up because uh, of policy. And we had to go hunt that policy. And boy, hunting policy uh, can take a little time. So that was a fun one. Isn't that a little scary, though, from a customer perspective, that their own policies are not getting published, uh, applied to that deployment? You said no, that's what I was saying, is that the customer policy was blocking the install. Oh, but not the publishers. Uh, sorry, I was trying to make the difference between the publisher's policy and the consumer and the, and the customer's policy. So you're saying that the, the the publisher's policy, like the partner's policy, will not will not be applied at all here. That's right. They don't have policy in this situation to apply. Right. Okay. So it'd be all within the tenant of the customer. So it's their policy that would get applied there. That's right. Because I'm deploying into the customer's tenant, their policy will be applied, and I, as a publisher, have to adhere to it. Okay. And uh, the uh, other question was, I know all these marketplaces, typically we're used to seeing app stores have charging all sorts of fees for, uh, you know, for publishers. Uh, is there some sort of fee structure that publishers have to be worried about when they put their apps on the Azure marketplace? No, they don't have to be worried at all. Huh? <laughs> no, You're telling me it's not. free? It's, just because uh, it's not free doesn't mean you have to worry about it. It's it's a, a very small fee of only 3%. I mean, think about that. What you're getting for the ability to put your software out there to the entire world as opposed to your your sought-after customer base is uh, just, just amazing. So for 3% of transactional fees and you get to bring your solution to the marketplace you bill on microsoft paper uh, meaning that you are able to sell into organizations that you may not be a preferred vendor in but i guarantee you microsoft will be mm -hmm. so you now have access to all sorts of enterprises you didn't have access to before offer the exorbitant rate of three percent that is a good deal thank you <laughs> Uh, that's kind of uh, all the questions I had for David. Any anything else from Kale and Cynthia? No, this was really great. Thanks, David, for uh, coming on here and talking about marketplace and and what our partners can do here because it's awesome. Thanks again. You bet. This was uh, absolute pleasure, and uh, hope maybe to do this again on another topic. Who knows? Love to have you back on. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any thoughts, questions, or just want to connect, find us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. We hope you'll tune in again soon to keep learning with us.